Howdy, everyone. Apologies if you hear wind outside. It's a windy day in Austin, Texas. It's getting cold, so that's exciting. Anyway, I recently read a book that is now one of my top nonfiction titles to recommend basically to anyone with a job. The book's called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. That's right. It doesn't have to be crazy at work, and there's a book on how you can get rid of the crazy going on at your job. It was written by the two co-founders of Basecamp. Basecamp is a software for project management. In fact, I use it pretty much for any project I've been a part of in the last couple of years. They also have a few other book titles that I highly recommend. Anyway, in all of their books, they provide a refreshing reminder and examples of how you can run your business and working culture the way you want, a way that's unique to you. So again, creating a culture that fits you and your people instead of dogmatically just running a culture the way others do. So questions I like to ask companies I speak with, does it make sense to have everyone in your company come into the same office every day? And if so, please explain why. And do these people have to work exactly from nine to five? And should they be required to work more than 40 hours a week? In some rare cases, maybe might be the answer, but most likely in the age of 2018, a lot of that isn't needed. And the authors of this book make a great point that your end product or service, whatever it is you provide, actually is the culture and how it works because it's people making things. And I like how they remind you that you can treat your company's working style and culture like a piece of software, meaning it likely has some bugs. Right now, your company probably has some bugs, just like any other piece of software has bugs. And the good news is that we have the power to address these bugs, to fix them. Our working cultures and working styles are malleable. So I wanted to actually speak with someone who works in a calm company culture like Basecamp. And I got in touch with one of Basecamp's designers, Jonas Downey. And Jonas believes it is better to focus on working quality time rather than a specific amount of clock time. So focus on quality and depth of time you're spending on work rather than a specific amount of time. While working a full-time job as a designer at Basecamp, Jonas also created a successful iPhone weather app called Hello Weather. Jonas is a shining example that you can have a thriving career without being overworked. I hope you are inspired by this calm conversation. How's it going? It's going lovely. I <laughs> am currently in Austin, Texas, where I live most of the time. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and I went on a rather long walk today to a little farmer's market type store to get lunch and walk back and listen to a podcast interview with one of my favorite thinkers named Seth Godin, which you may be familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it was a lovely break in between some deep work today. That's great. Yeah. And yourself? What about your day? Uh, I am at my house. Uh, I live in a suburb a little bit outside of Chicago. Cool. And, uh, yeah, just I just got back from lunch in my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Is that is that a regular practice of yours? Uh, have lunch at home? Yeah, I'm pretty much at home um, most days of the week. I go into the base camp office about one or two times a week um, just to meet with people or catch up, but mostly at home. Well, you'll be happy to know that besides email, which was a limited amount, maybe 20 minutes so far today, besides that, the only other application I've been in, well, I guess in addition to Zoom, since we're on that now, <laughs> was uh, Basecamp. So interacting with your product a lot today. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Excellent. Do you uh, do you use it for 
managing projects and stuff or what's your main use for it? I use it for any project where I have to coordinate with more than myself. Yeah. If it's just myself, honestly, just a pen and pad and Apple notes, uh, suffice for me. But if it's more than me, then base camps, my, my go-to for that. So, I, I do work with a venture firm called Animal Ventures. I'm an entrepreneur in residence there. So I'm advising and sort of overseeing as a specialist uh, across an array of projects there. And then I recently started a company that me and the few others behind it are coordinating all of our efforts. That's great. Yeah. yeah. It's funny how when you're just by yourself, you can pretty much have any system or mess because you know how it works. And as soon as other people are involved, all that no longer works. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Because we hear that a lot. It's like everything was fine until I got more people involved. And then it was a complete disaster and we had to use something. So. <laughs> it's a, it's a beautiful art that I'm uh, always trying to unlearn. That's for yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> um, cool. Well, we can, we can dive in you know, for a little bit of context. I, several years ago, had a blessing and epiphany happen to me where I used to be the overworked entrepreneur who drank the Kool-Aid of grind, 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 don't really take breaks. If you work hard enough and plow through the wall, success is on the other side, and it's all good after that. And uh, through several force functions, came to the realization of the power of rest and working smarter, not harder, the difference right. between, you know, being effective and efficient. And I now have had a lot of success ever since adopting a much more calm way of, of operating. And I'm just studying the many forms, many examples, many scientific discoveries on the value of rest and time off and play and a number of ongoing topics around a antidotes to being overworked and, and stressed. So yeah. that's the, that's the general context of uh, the project. And uh, I came across your article recently on quality time over clockwork time. And that really, really spoke to me because I visited Greece two summers ago and was introduced to this concept. In Greek culture, they had two concepts of time. The first was chronos, which is minutes, seconds, hours, as we know it. And then uh, keros, or some people might pronounce it kairos. And it was more of the quality of a given moment, the density of it, which I found fascinating as like a weight mechanism. And I've been focusing heavily on producing more keros in my life. And so when I saw quality work, over clockwork time for me, it was a well, well said uh, thought piece on this idea of Keros versus uh, Kronos. My first question is what led you to write this article on quality time? Yeah, well, I think it's really fascinating that that example that you just mentioned, just having a word for that is so valuable. I, I'm sort of fascinated with this idea that a lot of our processes and expectations are around the words that we have and don't have. So it's really interesting that in another language, there's like a word for quality time that's not clock time. I think that's neat. But yeah, to get back to your question, um, I think I sort of arrived at this realization after years of not thinking of it this way and sort of forcing myself uh, to grind things out or work too long or work too hard. Like you were saying, you know, I, feel, I, I almost think you have to go through the, the overwork time and the burnout time to start to realize, wait, maybe this is not healthy. Um, yeah. And then I think it's also just a, a practice thing after having done the same kind of work for a lot of years, you start to get more and more of an understanding of what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And the more you can reason about that and start to see your own ups and downs and, and figure out what you're doing and what, what's positive and what's negative for you, I think is really valuable. So that's kind of how I arrived at, at this idea. So you're a designer, 
That's correct. Is that how you would? Yeah. Yep. Brand yourself. Cool. Yeah. Um, as a designer in your design work, can you help me picture what quality time looks like for you in regards to your ongoing work? Yeah. Um, I think, like I was saying, I think um, for certain kinds of work, you know, clock time is a completely fine metric, but it's sort of an old industrial revolution era assembly line idea to a certain extent. And I think we sort of just have inherited this from our past and just continue working that way. Um, you know, if you have a, a job where you do the same task over and over, like on an assembly line, you can easily evaluate your productivity because more tasks equals more productive, right? So if you produce 20 widgets in an hour instead of 10 widgets, that's an improvement. You're doing more. So I think everyone pretty much in our society starts with that angle that you just need to be doing more in, in an amount of time. But for me, doing creative work like design or writing or programming, I've found that productivity for me happens in unpredictable bursts. It's not linear, where if you just put more time on a problem, you'll do better. That, that's not really how it works. So for me, if I don't have like the correct mental and emotional energy going into some sort of creative, like fresh thinking project, that's not going to work. Like I can't just like apply time to it and expect to have a better result. And then what I found is that for me, it's actually counterproductive <laughs> to focus on the number of hours um, because then you start to feel bad. Like if I have, I'm going to have one day where I'm really charged up and I have two hours of great creative work, but then a subsequent day I might have eight or 10 hours put in and I don't get anywhere near that same quality. So that's why I've started to change the way I think about what productivity means and what quality means and say, it's not just a number. Um, it's, I have to assess it on a different scale. I think. I was talking with Kevin Kelly, one of the founding editors of Wired Magazine on, on this podcast. And he brought up a concept that's sort of related, but just wanted to add on to what you said. And his was around the importance of, in modern work, variety. And it's his big belief in you know, rapid project-based work. Yep. And variety, not only in terms of you're changing up the thing you're working on, but also the scene and environment of which you might be working too, because those are factors that affect our, our subconscious and, and affect an idea we might have. That again, to your point, you could have tried 60 hours of just sitting there hitting your head against the wall, not really shipping anything dense, although you can show that you did work versus you may have a 10 minute epiphany that led to the new product feature or design. And it was simply because you changed the environment and scene or the people you were around uh, to yeah. that quality work. Absolutely. And that's sort of the result of having realized some of this stuff in retrospect. Now I'm more aware of my own uh, state of mind and focus level. And if I feel like I'm slipping or I don't have it, or, you know, maybe I got some good work done and I'm feeling tired or whatever, um, I walk away. And I didn't used to give myself the freedom to do that. I felt like I was sort of failing at my work if I didn't just keep going. And now I learned that actually walking away and changing uh, the scenario, changing where you are, you're freshening your mind a little bit is actually work like in, in a way you're doing work to f like freshen yourself up for more work <laughs> so, yeah, i like it I, yeah. I, I i agree with you and i think yeah. that it's okay if you step away and take a break it's not that you're not giving up it's just that you're not in your best mental state to produce anything in fact you might produce crap and that takes you a couple steps back right what about jonas quality time for outside of work for you? What is yeah. that like? It's funny that when people say quality time, they usually mean like spending quality time with friends or family. That's like the context that it's, it's normally used. I don't really think about my personal lifetime quite the same that I think about my work time. And maybe I should, um, <laughs> but I don't. I think for me, quality time on a personal level is about doing meaningful things with uh, people that I care about and 
exploring hobbies and traveling and also just not doing anything. <laughs> I think it's really underrated, like having, having just downtime to be human and lull around the house or whatever, I, I find to be quality time. I mean, you might, people don't necessarily think of that as quality time, but I think it is. I think you need stillness and quiet sometimes and to just hang out. <laughs> sure, sure. No, I beautifully said and something that seems so understood and, and simple. I see a lot of people in my life lack of, of practice around that. Right. Yeah. Everyone is so scheduled and um, packed. I got a lot of my friends have kids and the kids have schedules that are packed. They're like busy from, you know, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. at night. And I don't know, I'm just not sure that's great. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So yeah. you work for Basecamp, among other things, and Basecamp has a flexible work environment. What does that exactly mean? And I'm curious how that's led to better work and overall happiness for you? Yeah, um, I think the critical thing, I mean, Basecamp does a lot of stuff for us, but I think the critical thing is being able to control your own work environment to not only like minimize distractions from the work you're doing, but also to suit your preferred work style. And that really varies from person to person. You know, the, when you have the control, if you like it quiet, it can be quiet. Or if you want music on, it's on. Or if you prefer the dull noise of going to a coffee shop or something, you can work from there. I need to work the hours that are best for you rather than having to clock in and clock out at a given time every day. So it's just putting that control back in your own hands so that you can work on your terms instead of someone else's. And then when you're in control of that stuff, you're inevitably happier than when you're forced to conform to what someone else decided is the way that you have to work, right? So rather than having to sit in someone else's chair in a room with a bunch of other people that you may or may not want to hang out with <laughs> or whatever, um, opening up that flexibility just completely changed your mindset around what work is and, and how you should do it. So I think that's, that's a thing above all that I think Basecamp has, has figured out for us. How has that experience compared to, if you have had any, Jonas, previous work environments that weren't as open-minded and flexible? Like you as a, as a talented designer, do you have a comparison there from f former experiences before being with a company like Basecamp? Yeah, prior to Basecamp, uh, I worked at a couple of different government institutions. There were like larger places. One was a university and one was a, a national laboratory. And um, they're very, the culture in a place like that is very different. It's uh, much more bureaucratic and there's a lot of layers of management and things just move at a totally different scale and pace. And the level of flexibility that you have as, as an employee is drastically less <laughs> because you're sort of slotted into a spot when there's many people below and above you or whatever. I was pretty fortunate. Uh, none of my previous jobs had any kind of like offensive or toxic work culture compared to some of the stories you hear about startup life of people grinding out 80 or hundred hour weeks and never taking vacation time. And um, I, I've never had to live that life to that extent, but I did have long commutes and, uh, weird hours and office environments that weren't my favorite. And uh, I remember then thinking I'm spending all this time in the car to go to a place and sit in a little room so I can be on a computer that I could very easily just have done from my own bedroom. Right. Like there's, there wasn't really a lot of reason that I needed to be doing all of that sure. effort and wasting all that time. And uh, that was one of the things that, made me interested in trying to work for Basecamp because I felt like there was a better way to do this. And there is, <laughs> this is a much better way to do that. The, the differences are very drastic. The further apart you get on that scale, like I imagine the Silicon Valley life, sure. working Google and a Basecamp are like probably the most diametrically opposed yeah. uh, lives. Yeah. So I have, I have a lot of friends and you may still have some as well that are in those Again, they're producing good work and what they do is important, 
but I have friends that are here at the state capitol in Texas. I have friends that work for universities as well. And, you know, besides events and occasions where you are absolutely needed in person, there actually is a lot of area to where there isn't a good reason that they're in, at least in my opinion, that they're, that they're required to be at a given location. Have you thought about since going from experiencing that to then going to something very remote and flexible like Basecamp, uh, like actionable uh, thoughts or advice that you could give leaders there around how they might experiment with, you know, not an overnight change, but a little bit of uh, prototyping around changing that aspect of their work? Yeah, specifically around, you mean like around becoming remote or just generally? I mean, what you hope for, for someone on your team is that they're just doing their best work. And you made a point earlier that everyone's different in terms of how they get their best work done and where they get their best work done. And um, if you're just forcing a kind of dogmatic concept that was based off of preparation for the industrial age, you would think that, you know, you could experiment towards something different. Just any, I'm just looking for thoughts or advice that you would maybe give to those in, in influence that could question or change their working culture around uh, when and where they need to be there. Yeah, I think there's there's a variety of different uh, things you can do to e- evolve in a way that, you know, at Basecamp, we have a lot of like tentpole vision values and things that I think would be hard for some companies to adopt in retrospect. Um, things like we keep our company intentionally small and um, we remain private and uh, we don't take outside investment, those kinds of things. Some companies just are never going to be that way because they started a different way and that's fine. But when it comes to the work culture, there's lots of ways to iterate and and make small improvements that actually add up to significant quality of life improvements for employees. Um, So one obviously is to be a little bit more flexible about work location. Um, it, It seems like more and more tech companies are having a willingness to become remote or like part-time remote and uh, hopefully that trend will continue because there's just so much value in it um, not only for the quality of life for the employee but also for the organization it opens you up to new markets to hire people that maybe you weren't considering before it frees you up from being you know paying for tons of office space maybe you don't need all that space there's lots of benefits to that and you can start small by letting people do one day a week from home or you know if you have a, a team that is co-located in a certain area you can have them get together on their own one day a week or something like that kind of just step into it a little bit there are other things you can do like uh, we try really hard to protect our time at base camp which doesn't even require being remote it's just a matter of noticing things that are going on in your company that are destructive to people's time and stopping some of those practices even at a, a small level. So like one thing that we tell people to do is do uh, no meeting Thursdays. Like just pick Thursday and say, no one's going to have any meetings. Just that one day for the week. And the rest of the week, have as many meetings as you want. Maybe you need to move all the Thursday meetings to Friday or whatever. But you'll find you do that once or twice and suddenly everyone really loved <laughs> Thursday and got a lot done. It's like, wow, this is what not having interruptions feels like. Exactly, right. And so it doesn't take all that much. Like that's a relatively easy thing to try. And suddenly you start to see like, oh, actually some of the things we've been doing are somewhat problematic. The Basecamp team has released a number of my top books that I wish most MBA programs would just hand them those books and say, all right, that's it. Read these, implement it, and you're good to go. But anyway, some of those titles (laughs) include Remote, rework getting real and most recently on how to create a calm company and that title is it doesn't have to be crazy at work yeah title says it all (laughs) how how do you pitch the book to friends um i think the book is really about calling out what people have come to expect from work and are now sort of taking for granted in this perverted way, which is the necessity of having to put in long hours, you know, 60 hour weeks, suffering in, in distracting office environments, wasting time in meetings, 
having days broken up into tiny little moments of work instead of uninterrupted blocks of time. At Basecamp, we don't work like that and we don't think anyone else should either. So that's really the, the pitch of the book is it doesn't have to be like that. Like what, what we are taking for granted and what we're doing every day doesn't have to be the only way. And uh, I think when people have done that for enough years or they're culturally, they're just accustomed to it, um, it's just not, it's not healthy and we don't realize it. It's like the frog in the boiling water pot. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. The water's getting hotter and kind of just didn't notice. So, How has a company that not only lives by it, but is out there you know, trying to share the anecdotes so that others may implement their own aspects of it, what's it like as a designer for you to have a calm company like that in regards to your work? starting at Basecamp, I've been at Basecamp for a long time. I've been almost uh, a little bit over seven years. And uh, it was a very significant culture shock for me at the beginning uh, because I had come out of a circumstance where I was fairly closely monitored by, you know, my managers at, at previous jobs. And the work that I had been doing um, was fairly predictable in a way. It was like my day-to-day -day work didn't change a lot. I was kind of just continuing to work on the same stuff every single day. Um, at Basecamp, it was, it flipped is the opposite where um, you're not closely monitored. You're kind of free to do what you're going to be doing. And uh, the work uh, tends to change every month or two months or three months where it will be drastically changed working on some other project. And uh, that it's like a new mindset. You really have to, rethink about how you're working when you're used to having someone kind of holding your hand and looking after you and whatever. <laughs> um, not that we don't have that here, but uh, it's just a lot more independent. And it is, at first it was actually stressful in the opposite way because the freedom can be stressful. You're like, am I doing this right? Um, but once you get a handle on it and you get used to that, then it becomes calming because you are in control of you. And that's really what I think the value is, is being able to have your own control and, wow. and kind of call your own shots a little bit. I know of some friends that are designers as well. And I've seen the dogmatic idea of we have to have a design war room where we lock ourselves in every day, all day, and we design together. And if you're working with Basecamp with a design team, and each one of you can, for the most part, work autonomously. How have you been able to coordinate and still be successful as, as a design unit versus, you know, a approach of just being in the same room every day, all day in a, quote, collaborative environment? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that we do that are pretty significantly different than, I think, most design teams. Um, so one is that, our designers are relatively self-sufficient. We don't have multiple designers on a project all that often. Um, so what that means is we'll have a project scheduled for a, a, a six week piece of work and we'll have one designer and a couple of programmers on that. And the designer is kind of responsible for everything. It'll be some visual design, some copywriting, um, some implementation work for you know, front end builds, things like that. Uh, we we work in Rails, so our designers all kind of know Rails and CSS and JavaScript. And so we're all sort of generalists in a way. We kind of wear many hats. And that makes it so that we don't have to be deeply on top of each other a lot because we don't have to be like passing work back and forth all the time. Um, at other companies, you might have a designer who is responsible only for just visual style and then they'll hand that off to like a ux person or then they'll hand that off to a front end person and so there's sort of this like chain of command of, of design stuff and we don't really do that so that's one way that we're different another way is that uh, we do collaborate but it's kind of asynchronous where we're all sort of around at the time when we're around and we don't expect there to be a lot of like real time back and forth. We do real time back and forth a fair amount, but it's not like an ongoing everyday expected primary way to work. It's more like if we need to hash something out, we'll get together. 
the rest of the time we're not together, we're sort of off working and maybe posting a message and then everyone can kind of read that on their own time when they're free to read it and stuff. So that's more of like a cultural thing, which is this idea that everyone can be responsible for their work and get it done when they want and then communicate when they want. And that's fine. But like, it doesn't have to be everybody. When it's also more thoughtful, Jonas, I believe in the book, it's mentioned as an antidote to expecting knee jerk reactions, which very few of us are what I would call great at improv innovation or improv, you know, very thoughtful feedback. Right. You need that time to not only hear what that person had has pitched and and take it in, but then you need to analyze it and then you need to come up with your own thought regarding it. And that can't be done very easily in real time. And so for the sake of healthy collaboration, you need that bit of pause in between the moment it was presented and the moment everyone has their sort of final contribution on it. Yeah, which is funny because the the trend in the past five years or so has been to go to much more real-time interaction where everyone is in Slack or they're in like a group chat tool all day and everybody's firing off thoughts into chat rooms. And we found that that's fine for certain types of communication, but it's not good for the really important, meaningful stuff like needing to make announcements to the company or or needing to hash out a complex design problem. The chat room is not productive because if you're not in the room, you didn't get to have a say, right? Like the chat just like rolls away and suddenly now you're not part of the conversation. So uh, we really have tried to, in the last few years, tamp down on on chat like that and go much more into this asynchronous stuff. And it's, it's been good. It's an honor to talk to you for several reasons, Jonas. I, I'm a power user of Basecamp, which you contribute lots of great design work to. But I also check an app multiple times on my phone every day called Hello Weather. Oh, that's which, awesome. Which you happen to create. So I want to hear from the original creator himself. How did this project come to be? How did it get started? Yeah. Um, so I think it was about four years ago now. It's been a while. My friend Trevor and I, Trevor used to work at Basecamp too, and he, he since left the company. Um, but he and I were kind of sort of feeling the itch to try something new. We both were uh, web people. We've both been doing web design and, and programming for you know almost two decades. And uh, at, around that time, there was sort of a sense that, that native uh, UI and native apps were maybe going to eat the web a little bit, which I don't think panned out. I think we maybe thought that and it didn't happen, but um, I kind of just felt like I need to know more about this native app design stuff to just have have my skills up to date and have a little more diversity in my work. Um, so he and I decided to just uh, start making a little weather app. We were sort of unhappy with all the weather apps that were available back then. Um, even though there were hundreds, we just, we thought they were all kind of terrible. <laughs> it's like, why are there so many of these? And nobody has done one that's just like very straightforward. So we set out to make it uh, somewhat ignorantly thinking that we would be able to do a better job. <laughs> and, um, ended up spending about a year on it, off and on, just in our side free time. And then eventually evolved it into a thing that we felt good enough to ship and had to figure out like, do we want to do that? And is this a thing we're even able to do since we're already employed by a software company? Are they okay with that? They were. And um, it ended up becoming decently popular and probably one of my favorite things I've ever done in my career. It's been really nicely received and we have like tens of thousands of users and uh, it's a really wonderful creative outlet that brings a lot for me back to my full-time work at Basecamp. So it's been really positive. So how did you manage to work for a very well-known company that's always shipping good work like Basecamp while also shipping this new project? I hear a lot of friends that have full-time positions at other software companies and they have this application idea or this prototype concept and they just don't know how to get started with balancing that. 
uh, with their full-time job. So any, any lessons identified from that era of shipping that project? Yeah, there are a few. Um, the, the first one, I think the, the main point, when people ask me about this, the point I try to make the most is um, the side project thing needs to be for the purpose of fun and not like a hustle. There's a lot of people who think they need to have like a side hustle, you know, where they're trying to like make extra money on the side or whatever. And there are certain cases where maybe you need to do that. Like you're trying to change careers or you're trying to like build up your experience so that you can make a move or whatever. That's fine. Um, but for me going into this, uh, it was purely about learning and fun and enjoyment. And I was working on it with a friend. So it was not, it sounds like work cause it's like I'm producing an app. Um, but for the majority, the vast majority of the time we've worked on this, it's never felt like work to me. It feels like a hobby or like a fun diversion. And that completely changes how you think of it. I would choose to work on the app over other like time wasting things I would be doing, like sitting and just watching a TV show kind of mindlessly or whatever. And I still watch TV shows, but like I would choose this over that because I enjoyed this more and I was learning stuff and we were we had full control, creative control over it. So we could make it to be anything we wanted. And so that, that's, I think the key to it is as soon as it becomes some obligation or something that's like tearing you away from something else you want to be doing, then it feels like work. And then it's going to tank, like you're not going to want to do it. So I think that's how, that's kind of how we made it work. And we also let ourselves not have any pressure around needing to like dominate the app category or needing to ship things as soon as customers asked like we just were like no we'll do it when we have time and sometimes that means we don't do things for like months and that's okay yeah. like it's like you don't you shouldn't feel guilty about that you know that's that's an overall point of discussion that i think should be spotlighted more you don't need to <laughs> run a monopoly you don't need to be the unicorn you don't even need to be the quote market leader to to produce something useful sustainable and enjoyable right yeah we we kind of were hoping that it would be like an indie band kind of <laughs> app where it would be like maybe we had 200 people using it but they thought it was cool and we were like hanging out together and enjoying it and that would be completely fine like that was the level of aspiration we had for this thing it was not like we're going to launch this thing and get a hundred thousand users and quit our jobs or like we didn't have that goal at all um and that, and that took all the pressure off of it. So then in retrospect now, like it actually performed way beyond anything we ever anticipated. So all of that was like a surprise and fun and, and sort of silly. <laughs> so. Yeah. Is there, is that something that is rather low maintenance at the moment? Do you have a product roadmap intended to evolve it over time? Like what, what's the status of it? Again, I, I use it multiple times a day and really think it's great. Just wondering from the, creator if it if it has any future chapters ahead of it it does yeah we um we did a redesign when the iphone 10 came out there was like sort of an original version and then we did a pretty significant redesign change around then and then we've also added a whole bunch of features over the numerous years um, now we're sort of paused a little bit on the phone app because we're focusing on doing an apple watch app oh, awesome um, which is turning out to be a little bit trickier than I anticipated. So I was hoping we would get it done quickly and it's sort of taking a little longer than I thought, but we'll get it done at some point. Um, that's, that's really cool. So one thing I like to ask designers, so I, I definitely have gotten my hands dirty on all aspects of software builds. I think you, as you said, like a generalist, uh, but I've always stuck to the the design side more than anything else. And I'm yeah. curious from, a designer to another designer, like you said, you worked in early web and then you saw mobilization and native apps coming. So you, you know, rather than just talking about it, you built and tinkered some things. Now you're looking at wearables and that's going to teach you a lot. Are there any other technologies on the horizon that you're looking at from a design curiosity that uh, you're fascinated by and how, and how it might change design? Yeah, I think we're a little bit in a lull on the hardware side. You know, the wearables are pretty interesting, but it still feels like 
it feels to me like that era before the iPhone where smartphones were like this thing that you knew could be good, but weren't good yet. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel like wearables are right now. Like there's going to be some second generation, like breakthrough product in there that sort of breaks everyone's expectations about what those things do. Um, and we're just not there yet. So I think the, the watch app to me is interesting and I've been learning to, to wear the watch and use it and stuff, but it, it's not, uh, it still feels supplemental. Like I think mm-hmm. I could go without it and be fine. Sure. So I'm waiting for the next thing. That's like the thing you don't want to go without, I think is the, the thing. Um, the one other thing I'm kind of interested in just generally is uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning stuff. I think, you know, it's sort of the perpetually hyped thing that's going to take over the world and whether it does or not, maybe remains to be seen, but I think that's another big change, not only in how we design software, but our process too. I think maybe the process of designing will change as these tools get more sophisticated. So I'm kind of curious to see where that goes. Yeah, I I agree with that, especially now that we've had enough time of interacting with a lot of day-to-day software projects that actually have incredible machine learning algorithms behind them that we take for granted. Right. Uh, I think the more that that becomes more intuitive than it will find its application in our day-to-day work tools and work programs that, you know, we as designers or engineers currently have to produce tons of mundane work, even in a lot of that could be replaced and curated or sort of co-created next to a quote, you know, machine learning agent. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And even in, um, in knowing what to design, like machine learning is very good at, uh, managing like predictions and mm-hmm. telling you, you know, which, which way to go with something. I think that that's one thing that designers struggle with all the time. It's like, I have all this data and I have all this customer feedback, but how do I know which version of this to make or what's the most optimal design? And there's definitely a lot of potential in that. Jonas, is there a hobby or something that you do outside of your design work in software product design that is a muse or an analogous area of inspiration that helps further your design skills and aesthetic? Uh, Yeah, I think there are two things that I do. Um, One is I like to look at old art and design. Uh, Nothing basically since the computer age. I don't, I really try to avoid looking at those like website design inspiration gallery things or like, look, I don't like to look at competitors products. I really try to avoid looking at software at all. <laughs> for yeah. the most part. I, I mean, I use apps and stuff, but um, I actively don't like looking at those other things. I do like looking at print design from like the 1920s to the 1960s and abstract and impressionist art. And uh, I listen to a lot of music and like, I try to get um, inspiration from fields outside of my specific field because I find that to be much richer in terms of what it brings to my, the back of my brain. (laughs) It's in there somehow. And then, then you kind of bring that stuff back up later and it's really interesting. Yeah. I'm, I have a, I have a similar approach of not looking at the industry at all. And my, yeah. my two muses are like physical architecture and, and cooking and culinary arts. And on the architecture side, it's again, that is a user experience. It's something very real when you walk into a space and the experience and the flow of the space. And there's certain decisions there that I try to draw analogies from when coming up with a architecture or user experience layout. And then from a project management perspective, I try to study or design project management, study some of the world's best chefs because ultimately every dish they ship out is like shipping a product. Right. There's a lot of really interesting things there. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you end up getting hungry (laughs) (laughs) studying all these things too. Yeah. It's amazing how much overlap there is between creative fields like the the medium may be very different but there's a lot of similarities in process and organization and you know user experience and all that stuff that we talk about in software has so many parallels in these other industries it's it's cool to 
bounce between them and, and see how that, how it's different and how it's not different. Yeah. Jonas, you work for a calm company and just by my conversation with you, you appear to be very, very calm yourself. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I know a lot of designers that are burned out. They're not calm. They are vulnerable with me and talk about how they're not able to do any deep design work because they're just constantly fielding requests. How might they save themselves from that craziness so that they can produce work? Is, is there any simple experiments you might recommend for them to try next week for finding a bit more calm so they can produce better work? Yeah, absolutely. It all boils down to protecting your time. I think that's sort of the, the root idea is allowing yourself to have whatever chunk you need. Maybe it's two hours or four hours or whatever to be able to get into a groove or get into that sort of deep work mode where you're able to concentrate for a while without being constantly interrupted or pulled in five different directions or answering requests or whatever it is. And so how you are able to hack at that and deal with that sort of depends a little bit on your work environment. Um, when you work in a company where everyone has the expectation that you'll be constantly available, you might have an uphill battle <laughs> to, to give yourself some time Certainly. protection. Um, but there are some ways you can do that. Uh, one is to, like if you're like a calendar-centric type company, you could just block out time on your calendar. Just have it be blocked out. And you don't have to tell people why but they'll just see you as unavailable and then you can be unavailable for a while. <laughs> so that's one way. Another way is to uh, just turn off some notifications for a bit, you know, give yourself an hour where you just hit the, there's a little command on the Mac. You can just disable notifications. Just, just have them off. And then you'll see, you know, if you didn't respond to someone for an hour, they're probably not going to freak out. Like it's probably okay. The chances of there being something, it was so urgent that that hour has really cost you is very small. So there are things like that. You can also, if you have a little bit more clout or, or are willing to stick your neck out there and suggest something to the company. Um, one thing that we tell people to do is try doing a uh, library rules in their office for like an afternoon, which is just have it just be quiet. Like everybody stays quiet like they would in a library. Mm -hmm. that's how our office works we have an office in chicago and it's quiet even when there might be eight or ten or twelve people there and we just are respectful of each other's time and space and <laughs> we just don't make a lot of noise and we don't have uh, music playing or anything and if you need to have a meeting or whatever you go into a closed space and just see how that affects everything if you work in a place where there's a lot of people and a lot of noise all the time you might find that having like a library environment makes a big difference for being productive. So lots of little things like that. You can kind of just chip away yeah. at it and see, see how it goes. Those are wonderful and actionable, like something that can actually be tried out tomorrow. So I, I really appreciate those. So one of the yeah. last things I want to ask Jonas is of the higher level goal of or just topics I want to cover with time off, which is again, not only examples of people that work for companies that value forms of time off and calm. Are there any topics or people you'd be fascinated to hear from? I'm always seeking to find topics outside of my own list of things I'd like to cover from, from people like you who appreciate time off and rest and calm it, it's tricky because it seems like almost all of the anecdotes you hear are the opposite right you hear um how everybody is just constantly working all the time and when you hear about like the the culture at apple when steve jobs is there and it's like everyone's like constantly racing and <laughs> whatever <laughs> um i don't know i would be curious uh definitely to hear about how people do vacation time and feel okay with it. Because that was one thing that I always struggled with prior to working at Basecamp, where when you feel like you can't leave because everything's gonna come crashing down for the week that you're out, and then you'll just suffer when you get back, you know, feeling. Um, 
the, I always had trouble with that. And then even at base camp, I've had to sort of un, unteach myself that, that feeling and just literally completely disconnect from work. Um, so I think there's a lot of interesting work to be done on that, uh, the, the vacation stuff. And let me know if this is a good way to describe it, but vacation anxiety. Yeah, right. Cool. It, it's, it, sometimes it feels like it's more work to take vacation than it would be to just keep working. It's like you're yeah. so in the rut of, of that. Um, awesome. Well, thanks. Uh, that definitely is in a new area I wasn't thinking about. So yeah. where can we find you and support you online, Jenis? Um, I am on Twitter. My handle is uh, Jonas Downey. It's my first and last name. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. That, that's probably the easiest way to find me. I'm on Medium. I do some, some writing on Medium and uh, and got the hello weather going. So those are kind of the, the places where I am the most. <laughs> so, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I will continue to interact with the products you have designed, my friend, and I deeply appreciate the work that you put into it because they allow me to do better work or just live more calm. You're a great example of light at the end of the tunnel for others that you know, there's hopefully more and more working cultures out there like Basecamp so that designers can, you know, just produce a, a wonderful body of work. So really appreciate you opening up about that, Jonas. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, John. And yeah, we're going to keep tooting the horn. Hopefully we'll get <laughs> we need more and more podcasts like this. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> totally. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll be sharing with this, share that, sharing this with you soon and deeply appreciate it, Jonas and have cool. a wonderful, calm rest of the week. <laughs> Thanks. You too. All right, take it easy. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Jonas and I's conversation. I could go on and on about what I've learned from Basecamp, their founders' books around running a successful company with a remote culture, how to rework your business, and their latest title, It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. But I think you should just pick up the book, It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work, and find parts of your business and working culture that are crazy and aren't healthy in getting the most out of the talented people around you. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you.